What is up, everyone? Welcome to Culture FC, the weekly soccer show where we discuss all culturally relevant soccer topics. We talk lifestyle, fashion, music, politics, everything happening off the pitch. None of the stuff really happening on it. My name's Alan, and I'm here joined by my lovely co-hosts, Brendan and Louie. This week, we decided to talk rivalries, rivalries in the sport of soccer, why they are so important to the culture of the game, to the, the people watching, the fans, and why they're so important to everything happening on the pitch. We talk um, political meanings, religious meanings, everything that kind of makes rivalries important. We also take a little deep dive into the MLS and if we think MLS rivalries are genuine or if they feel a little forced. As always, if you like the podcast and you're listening to us on your preferred podcast app, be sure to leave us that five-star review, like us, and it really helps us um, kind of rank better in all the podcast app, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, wherever it may be. If you're watching to if you're if you're watching us in the video version on YouTube or Facebook, be sure to leave us that like, subscribe. That also lets us know that you really enjoy our content and we really like the interaction. As always, if you have any thoughts or insight throughout the episode, please be sure to write up your thoughts, send them to us if you're watching on video, leave a comment if you are listening, send us a DM on Instagram, Facebook, email us. You can find us on Instagram at culturef.c. That is where our Instagram lies so follow us there we're going to start throwing out some mentions to followers and comments that we get on there so be sure to follow us that's about it for this podcast of me asking you to do stuff sit back relax and let's get into the episode Alrighty, guys, jumping into the part of the show where we talk about culturally significant soccer news. This week's first news topic, you guys have probably seen it, and those of you listening have definitely probably seen it. Uh, Clint Dempsey, U.S. soccer legend, has retired from the game. And while that is very sad, we should look back at his career very fondly as the highest scoring American in the Premier League when he played for both Fulham and Tottenham, not to mention winning an MLS Cup with Seattle and just helping usher MLS into a new era of not a retirement league. He was one of those players who came back to play in the MLS who was still in his prime and he was coming from Tottenham, a team on the rise, a team that has currently been in the Champions League for the past five years and he decided that he didn't want to continue pursuing that but in his prime he wanted to come back to the MLS and make an impact and make an impact he did. Yeah, Clint Dempsey, one of those guys who was just like kind of a a trendsetter or I don't even know if trendsetter is the right word but one of the first kind of big American stars to go overseas and prove that Americans can play the sport and can really con- contend. And um, that was really cool. I mean, especially like growing up, watching some, uh, obviously watching Premier League, um, seeing that rare American player playing against Manchester United's, the Liverpool's, the Chelsea's. Um, Who wasn't in goal? Because, I mean, we should mention right, that. Like, right, we, right. We've had U.S. soccer legends who have all played right. in the Prem who were all in goal. Absolutely. It, and, but even then, he's part of that kind of, that kind of core group of guys that went overseas and proved that With they Tim could Howard, play. Brad Guzan. Um, um, so, so that was super exciting. And, and just, I mean, it's, it's cool to see. And even from a, a kid who grew up not watching the Premier League, when there were those glimpses into that, you, I only ever saw the Premier League through Clint Dempsey. Yeah. And like, even growing up playing FIFA, it's just like, yo, what's the team that the Americans on? Like, I want to yeah. play on that team. Yeah. Cause like, 
that that was so cool to us because it's just like oh it's an English league but we have an American yeah. and he's actually good like yeah, he, he right. does things it's right. like wow that's wicked cool but no nah, fabulous player sad to see him have to retire how old is he do we know, know. he's a little bit he's, he's getting up, up there. there in age probably like 32 if you guys yeah, for a long. soccer player that's I mean that's that's up there he was born sure. in 19 I always remember him actually as um the 35. first thing that always comes to mind is that he's like a, a rapper. Yeah. He has the like uh he is has he the rapper? don't tread on me video that like US soccer had with him. I'll have to I'll have to pull it up later but like he's like a he's like a real like the rapper dude that like, yeah. he has songs. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he's funny to me cuz he's from Texas. Yeah. He's a southern dude like yeah. super southern has an accent. Loves fishing and loves fishing the outdoors. And then came to play on the Rebs, which a lot of people don't know. He started his career off with the Revolution. He had long, like almost like emo goth hair, yeah, yeah. but he was still rapping, yeah. and it was weird. And then he goes over to England. He's this Texan who raps and is just like definitely not really fitting into the vibe, yeah. but he makes kind of his own vibe. Yeah. Um, and yeah, man. I mean, it's yeah, because it's, it's always cool. We've definitely seen like NBA players that rap and. Um, it's awesome to see this guy who is who can play the sport, but also like culturally, like he's also dro- dropping music. Yeah. Like that, that's I mean, I just always thought that was pretty funny. It's just something that you wouldn't think of from um, your like traditional soccer player. So I that I commend him for that as well, because I, I just think he's he really trendsetter in more than one kind of arena. So one part that he trendsetted in that I don't I would love to hear you guys take on. So his nickname is Deuce, which is pretty cool, like two, you know, like it's a cool nickname. But he wears the number two, and yeah. he wore the number two as a forward, both at Tottenham and at the Sounders. How much does that irk you? I mean, if you listen to the episode where we talk about shirt numbers, I'm kind of I'm a I'm a young person with a very old mind when it comes to, to soccer. So to me, it's like it's it it's a no no, a big frowny face, a big thumbs down emoji. Like I cannot stand it. Um, but I mean, gets away with it. But I, it's not cool in my books, for sure. Not cool. I, I don't care. It doesn't <laughs> bother me at all. It's just like if anything, that was that was nice of of Tottenham to like to to allow that to happen. Because yeah. I'm sure there are people in within the club who are just like, this right. guy wants number two. <laughs> he's a forward, he's a forward and he wants and he our wants fullbacks number. number? Are you kidding me? Well, he's uh, so yeah. give it to him. Give him a shot. It's definitely ballsy to go into a different kind of a whole different environment where these things matter and still have the kind of gusto, have the, the, the bravery to pull out a number. Some people might think, oh, that doesn't mean anything. But when you're already um, coming from a culture or coming into a culture where they think that Americans can't play the sport and then you come in already saying, hey, I'm a forward, but I'm going to take this number that is traditionally a defender's number, that's pretty big. And that kind of puts uh, puts a lot of pressure on you because it's like – it doesn't really mean out. anything, yeah. but you're putting a target on your back of being, you're already being an outsider, being different. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I don't like it, but it was cool that he kind of took that that stance and it was still able to really kind of kind of do it. Yeah. Um, but also, uh, you know, uh, I don't know how much I like it, but like you said, it, it put a target on his back and it made him stand out. Yeah. Um, but also, a lot of people consider him to be the greatest U.S. soccer player in the history of the game. So I opened it up to our Instagram followers this week. I posted a picture of Landon Donovan right next to Clint Dempsey, and I said, which one? Who done it? Who? Which one of these two is the biggest U.S. soccer legend? And we got quite a few people um, 
commenting, and I'd like to shout some of them out. Um, new thing we're trying with the podcast here, trying to engage with people on Instagram. So if you're listening to this podcast, make sure you're following us on Instagram So and comment on our pictures, and we will shout you out. That means you, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the past project wrote, deuce. So definitely <laughs> one point to, 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 uh, to Clint Dempsey there. Um, this guy, I cannot pronounce his, his uh, username here, so I'm sorry. It's like Dob Bylan T. Van Eiler. I don't know, bro. I'm sorry. He'll but know. I'm, I'm shouting you out. He wrote, Tim Howard, Dempsey's overrated. Mm-hmm. Wasn't an option, but thank <laughs> you for sharing. Um, uh, I'm going to circle C on this A and B answer. <laughs> someone then, uh, Amen Van Dyke wrote, America, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> so cool. It's also a very also valid point. <laughs> and then um, one comment that i particularly wanted to point out here is karina the rad commented and wrote mia ham neither of those two have anything close to her name recognition and i would like to publicly apologize to everybody here because my caption on the picture was the greatest the biggest legend in u.s soccer history i never said men's and i am very sorry because mia ham a hundred thousand percent is more important than tim howard and landon donovan yeah no i i completely agree and i think that's um another thing that uh a male biased on the sport that we have obviously and it's wrong but yes because the the women is mia ham is like the goat of uh, american soccer so right for and, sure and i definitely don't want to be presumptuous <laughs> to say that the the men are more important than right. the women because i'm of the facet that believe that the u.s women's national team has done so much more yeah. for the s- global uh, sport of soccer than any american yeah. has ever done on the men's team so i do apologize i would also like to throw up you know mia ham definitely better than both of these guys and i mean even Alex Morgan, in my yeah. opinion, is probably more important than Landon Ooh. Donovan and Tim Howard. Really? That's hot a, takes that's a hot on Culture <laughs> FC. Wow. Let's hot go. Takes. We'll have to hot have takes. a whole new episode hot on cakes. that one because that's a, that's a good discussion for sure. But yeah, that's cool. It's glad to see that um, people are engaging. That's for and, and that's cool. I mean, that's a whole new perspective that yeah. we didn't have, right? With the Mia Ham opinion. Shout out. Who was that? Karina the Rad. Karina that's the cool. Rad. Yeah. Opening our eyes. For sure. Um, and then, yeah, pretty much. And then we had another guy, uh, another person here. I'm sorry, Kirk Pilato, Mia Ham wrote also wrote Mia Ham. Oh, cool. Um, and then Foster Marty wrote Deuce all the way. I would say equal career, equal career wise, but Clint is way more cool. A hundred percent, because Landon yeah. Donovan's a little bit of a scrub. Yeah, like yeah, kind of weird dude. He's a <laughs> weird ass dude. Clint Dempsey has a vibe to him that yeah. just like yeah, I don't know. He seems legit and cool. Yeah, but yeah, thanks for commenting, guys. Um, make sure you're following us on Instagram. That way. Uh, anytime we post these cool questions, you can participate and we'll give you a shout out on the podcast. Yeah. yeah, for sure. But moving on now, second top of the day, we're kind of moving a little bit more into the fashion realm. Um, and this has been something that's been kind of rumored and we've talked about it a little bit here on the podcast before, but it looks like Jordan brand, the Jordan, um, Nike brand is going to be making a move into the soccer world, um, and possibly being the Jersey, um, creators for psg and jordan already has kind of a connection with soccer a little bit they have um had some collaborations with neymar and the like neymar jordan cleats that that have come out before but it looks like they're going full force i mean um rapper travis scott was seen in a concert rocking a psg um or a parish jordan basketball jersey justin timberlake was seen seeing wearing like kind of the same design um psg jordan jacket at a concert 
So this ties in a bunch of things that we've talked about before of kind of how does the sport transcend just global attention and kind of make it more to home, make it more U.S. And one of the things we always talk about is seeing these superstar figures, rappers, singers start wearing jerseys, representing teams more. Um, so it's pretty cool to see Travis Scott, a guy who's kind of A-list rapper now, um, especially with the recent album release, wearing this PSG um, Jordan jersey representing the sport um, at a whole new level. Um, it, it, I just think it's pretty cool to finally see kind of this this mesh of, of, of different cultures coming together and um, tie a, a bunch of different things together and not to not to discount him justin timberlake is also a massive oh yeah yeah, yeah superstar yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So justin timberlake <laughs> is huge but i'm more of a rap biased guy but yes you're right. <laughs> justin timberlake sexy back is a still fire song so um absolutely but yeah it, it's it, it's just really cool um and it's also interesting because there are two musicians. You're not seeing this marketing campaign done through the classical means of putting all the jerseys and stuff on the players and having yeah. them do that because you get to see, like, right, wow, these rappers and stuff yeah, like this stuff targeting. enough. Like, whether or not, I mean, they probably know of the team and stuff like that. Yeah. Who do, do they follow them? Who knows? Yeah. But they enjoy the aesthetic enough of what soccer culture has to yeah. offer in terms of fashion, and they're fucking biting, bro, and yeah. I love it. And mind you, though, that that collection that, that Travis Scott and Justin Timberlake wore, so fly. Yeah. Like, the Without whole collection is yeah. just phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and it, it it's really funny because, like, when paired with, like, the PSG Air Jordan 5s that they were releasing as yeah. part of this kind of collection, like, it's a full-blown, yeah. like, collection from, from sneakers to um, the rumored kits, which yeah. actually look really, really good. So if you guys have a second, Google it up, uh, PSG Jordan kit. Yeah. They, they have a couple of leaked images. And if they're true... They're so dope. Yeah. They look phenomenal. Um, and it's just really cool to see Nike do what we've been talking about for almost a year now that this yeah. podcast has been created about how Adidas has been tapping into that low, like uh, that rap kind of yeah. vibe. And so for them to start trying to bridge that gap too is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I love it. I love seeing it. I think that it's really great to have like these A-list, A-list celebrities putting yeah. on for for soccer and soccer fashion no for sure the the actual the stuff that's out now for the collection or has been teased is awesome i can't like i can't even describe how important to the culture it would be if the actual jerseys that are rumored supposed to come out like think about a traditionally basketball brand completely basketball that has so much cultural significance here in the u.s i mean people like dying over shoes and that's a whole different conversation but if that company is now going into soccer and creating these super um, fashion-forward jerseys for, for the likes of Neymar, that's huge, right, for, for the culture. And, and it brings PSG brand recognition, even the, the sport as a whole's brand recognition to the U.S., like, to a whole new level. Yeah. yeah, and on that point, what's really funny is that a lot of people who are younger don't realize that PSG was not a big club. Yeah. No. PSG is, is now a massive club, yeah. but PSG historically is not a big club. No. They 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 were not really good for a while. Yeah. Like their their history before these past 5 6 7 years was when Ronaldinho played for them for one or two yeah. years. And that was it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. at least on a global global perspective. Right, right, right. 
they weren't like Manchester United or Bayern or Real Madrid or Barcelona or, or any like of these other bigger clubs like Liverpool. They were just kind of like like the biggest clubs in France were like Olympic yeah. uh, de Marseille. I like and to Lyon. think of them now as like a Lyon. Like if you th- whatever you think of Lyon now is what you would think of them back in, probably eight years ago. I think a PSG. But, but even then, ago. like Lyon had has won ti- like plenty of titles yes, in the French league. Yeah, in the yeah French for league. sure. For sure. So. So yeah, I but guess I'm saying like, from I'm saying from like a global perspective, like whatever you think of Lyon right now in terms of like their scale, sure. that's what I would think of of PSG back five, five six ten, years ago. Yeah. yeah, no, for sure. And it's just really cool that this is basically catapulting them even more yeah. so, yeah. even higher. Like sure, they have one of the they have the world's most marketable athlete, yeah. most sorry, most marketable soccer player in in Neymar, and like it's just their brand is just becoming astronomical. Right. And that just goes to show what Qatari money will do for you. <laughs> yeah. Let's just sh- <laughs> shout out Man City and PSG. Yeah. Yo, hashtag road to Qatar. We're still trying to go. Yeah, still trying to go. Get trouble to Qatar. <laughs> start up, we should start like a, a GoFundMe. We yeah. said that already, but we're going to do it. Kickstarter campaigns are now filled with like paying for medical bills. Like, <laughs> we're becoming a culture of paying for each other's medical bills, man. Hey, that's all it that's is. That's a different conversation too, would be not for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Third piece of news. We were kind of introduced to this last week a little bit when we talked with Seth from the Ben Musket. If you haven't checked it out, check out the episode. It was dope. But um, within the revs, their training schedule and stuff, or it's like you never really get to really see what the regimented lifestyle of these yeah. athletes are like. But Unai Emery, in recent news, has now banned fruit juice from the Arsenal team. Yeah, they are no longer to no more apple juice. Yeah, no more apple <laughs> juice. No more, no more Rabina. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it it was interesting to me because we got that taste of what the revs do and like how tough it is to really be a soccer player. But like you never would have thought really how important like diet was. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they must take a little bit of consideration to it, but to ban fruit juice, yeah. they shows the guys on a path. But Arsene Wenger was also known to do that stuff too. He yeah. once banned Mars bars. Yeah. And drinking, yeah. there was fine. I mean, sure, all the teams probably have yeah, fines now, for that. Nowadays, everyone drink. You can't no no drinking. So I will say, I mean, the while it it makes for a headline, I don't think it's that important at all. I think that like in term, it's very interesting. Like you said, to get to hear this aspect of like, because a lot of people associate juice as like almost a healthy thing, yeah. despite the fact that it's loaded with yeah. a million pounds of sugar. Yeah. Yeah. So like. At least to me, it doesn't shock me that they're banning it because yeah. in my opinion, you don't need juice. It's yeah. just empty calories. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of people, it's a staple of their diet. They yeah. think like that's, you know, super healthy, super amazing. At the same time, like it's just funny to think about like uh, football slash soccer back in the 80s. There was no fucking rules. Yeah. You had people no. who would just like binge eat, binge drink yeah. when they weren't at the club, show up and just like yeah. ball out. Yeah. Today, that doesn't happen. Like players have these regimented diets, like B said, and it's just, it's really cool to get to see that insight. Um, And it falls along with what you think, but it's almost more interesting when you think back 20 years yeah. and you go, wow. Yeah. Or when the dudes, dudes would were, smoke a button at <laughs> halftime. Chain yeah. smoking <laughs> at the training ground yeah. in between like sprints, like yeah. things like that, that would happen that you're like, that would never fly today. Yeah, I think definitely, um, you're right, Lou. It's a perception thing. People think juice is healthy. Um, that's why it makes the headline that it's cut out. But it's like, you look at... Yeah, no, juice is shit. You look at like an <laughs> juice apple juice shit. nutrition facts. It has the same amount of sugar as a Coke. So yeah. it's like really not that great. But um, to your point about like how old, like how old the cultures are different, um, 
there's this funny meme and it was like it's funny seeing these old um, soccer players make fun of guys for their haircuts and their Instagram um, like antics when back in the day they were going out and getting shit faced yeah. <laughs> shit faced before games and then going out and being like you have to be professional these haircuts are not professional like yeah. dude okay yeah not you really. used to do you used to do lines of coke <laughs> yeah. before games yeah. like and you're ta- talking you're, about being you're professional telling Pogba that he needs to not color his hair get the color. Pogba's like an <laughs> exemplary like human being like yeah. he's like religious he take, gives back to the community yeah. he's a really nice guy he's a phenomenal soccer player one of the best yeah. in the world but he paints his hair blue and uh, these motherfuckers from the 80s who used to just do lines of coke and binge drink or yeah, talk about being party. professional get yeah. the fuck out of here um but it must have become a problem or something or like oh the had, lines of coke no yeah, probably. No, no, i'm talking the juice bro like <laughs> like what player on arsenal is like just overloading on juice yeah, well i just think it's like professional players in general they're they're cutting out show i mean you're really not going to be in taking sugar it's just not good it, inflammation wise yeah wise it's really gonna mess you up um so but he must have had but come i like to, to some, think come to like, some conclusion of it like or maybe Mesut ozil was just like hoarding <laughs> packets of yeah. like apple juice and he was just like capri suns up the waz like <laughs> just, just shotgunning <laughs> capri suns like every two seconds like. yeah so despite the fact that that probably didn't happen that's what's happening in my head and that's what's gonna stay yeah no, for sure. Shout out Una Emery yeah. changing Arsenal's health. <laughs> uh, Mesut Ozil, get off the juice boxes, bro. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. So, news topics done. Now we're going to be heading into the kind of main topic of the podcast. This is where we kind of deep dive into one general um, topic idea and, and, and kind of build, give our thoughts on them, kind of constructive criticisms, whatever it may be. Um, today we're going to be talking about rivalries um, why they're so important to the sport of soccer. Rivalries are huge in uh, every sport, but why we think they're different and, and they play such an important role in the sport of soccer. Um, so the first thing we're going to kind of get into is why rivalries are important. And we can here kind of discuss just from a general consensus, like why they are so important to sports. Um, and then we can we can start talking about why they're so important to soccer. Um, I think rivalries are really important not just inside of sports but in anything you do you need something to strive for you need someone that you need to be better than um, whether that's yourself currently and you want to be better than that or if it's uh, someone that you know that you want to um, be better than and it makes you want to be better it's just it's that thing it's it's I think that rivalry is the catalyst for growth and that's how that's in my opinion that's how it is in a lot of different aspects of life it's not just in sports but especially in sports where it takes so much of your mental capacity and your your physical ability yep. to be better than someone it's not like you know being the best marketer at a company doesn't necessarily require you to be physical yep. you just have to be maybe more intelligent or have a better track record of whatever it is but in sports, you have to not only be better mentally, you have to be better physically. And so the rivalry is something that just helps you get there. It's that extra push yep. to get you to that point. Yeah. Two, just from like a, a nat, like a human perspective, um, rivalries kind of bring different groups of people together. And just from like nature, uh, biology 101, um, we want to be part of a group. We want to feel like we are a part of something. It keeps us safe. It makes us feel um, worthy. So, creating rivalries, creating um, these kind of competitions between different groups of people um, helps div- divide groups, but it, within those groups helps um, make people feel 
love, it's appreciated, self self worth, a whole bunch of things. It's almost like you separate it just to bring everybody right together. To, right to bring everyone together, and a, a, that's a great part of just the sport of soccer in general that we always talk about. But yes, it's um it's great just for um, filling a, a deep need that we have as humans. Like rivalries, <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna just say the same exact yeah, thing no, as no. you guys did, but I want the no the. Uh, I want the listeners to know rivalries don't mean everything. <laughs> I I love the rivalry games, even myself yeah. playing against uh, rivals like that. But I think it also produces a level of anxiety yeah. to an extent for the oh. for the person, and in some cases that could either go very positively oh. or very negatively. Well, we if you we're, we can circle back to the hooliganism ep- hooliganism <laughs> episode we did several months ago. That's when rivalries go way too far yeah. and if yeah. you guys actually happened this week if you pull up brazilian soccer fans rip up stadium happened a couple of days ago yeah. over a rivalry yeah so things of that nature you could see plenty of bad examples out there plenty of good examples out there um i think we should just we should look at both sides yes, yes. and no and speaking to the anxiety part 100 percent. and we can and we can kind of seg this into what kind of makes a good rivalry but Anxiety, 100%. Like, I, I, I don't actually enjoy watching rivalry games like a Manchester United-Liverpool game. It actually gives me way too much angst. Like, I, I want it to just be over. I, I, I'm excited for the buildup, and I want us to win. But every passing moment of a rivalry game to me is not comfortable. I am not sitting there like, oh, unless, unless I really think Manchester United's team is 100 million times better than, than the Liverpool team on that day. Even then, I'm still a little anxious because rivalry games, you don't ever know. There's a whole level, there's a mentality that goes into a rivalry match for players that is completely different. So to that point, be yes, it brings people together and it does a whole, whole host of other good things. But the anxiety levels that you feel for as a fan during a rivalry game, um, for me, are unmatched in any other kind of experience. Right. I think the ang- the anxious part of rivalries is crazy like you you're on the edge of your seat like i remember last year i was uh back actually i'm sorry back in the spring when manchester united played man city uh in the league where manchester united came back and won 3 to 2 yeah i was freaking <laughs> out like i was at home and then city go up to nothing and i'm like ah oh, whatever fine i'm yeah. like still watching the game but i think i was also on my phone at that yeah. point just kind of like all right what else can i focus on and then the goal started coming out and i'm like through my phone at one point, I started jumping. Like it's very anxiety ridden, yeah. but they're also the best games to watch. They're the ones that, at least for me, after I look back upon it, and I'm like, yeah, I almost had a heart attack, but it was the most enjoyable game in my mind as a soccer fan because that's what to me soccer is. It's that it's, it is that anxiety, it is that uncertainty, it is the fact that on any given day your team can lose, and that's okay. Yeah. So my anxiety levels never come from watching rivalry games. Really? I don't it, it's weird. In my head, rivalry games to me don't matter unless I'm playing in a rivalry <laughs> game. Yeah, yeah. Like I see the rivalries and I'm just like So what you're telling me is that when you're watching Liverpool play Man United, you're just kinda like, eh, but I'm if it's like, Jurgen, oh, it's another game. Like, but if Jurgen uh, Klopp was like, Hey, Brendan, we need a goalkeeper, no way. This is intense. Well, I didn't yeah, no, I'm <laughs> shitting my pants over here. Um but yeah, it's just like when I see these big these I mean, yeah, the Champions League, but that's not a rivalry. I think the rivalries in my head, maybe I just haven't been involved long enough in yeah. in the in like watching and and appreciating a team yeah. at, on for the sport, but 
the anxiety comes from like playing. Yeah. Because there have been rivalry games when I've played in and like I've done well and it's been great. But yeah. other times when you shit the bed and it yeah. just it turns into the worst day ever. Well, what I love about what you just said is that, you know, we talk about rivalries in soccer on a grand scale. Like yeah. Man United, Liverpool. I just mentioned Man City, Man United, which eh, it's not really a rivalry. Yeah. Um, but, you know, whatever. Recent times. Recent times. Um, but what's really interesting about rivalries in soccer is that they develop even at a gra- ground level. You oh, know, 100%. like our like in our town here, we had a very we have a very big rivalry with the town next to us. And so, you know, it, I can't imagine when you guys were playing in high school, like those games probably were crazy because you're like, oh, there are rivals. We have to beat them. George yeah. And so yeah. it's really cool to think that, like, it's not just at a grand level. It's at even at a, uh, at a local level. Yeah. It still strives you to be better. You're like, we need to be better. Like you, ha- you have seasons of, of 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 soccer where it's like, man, we can lose every single game, but we will not yeah. lose to our rivals. Right. And then most fans are OK with that. Yeah. Like yeah. you, you see that in England and in, in, in pretty much anywhere. It's like, all right, our season can be shit. But as long as we don't lose to our rivals. Right we're good right it's okay it's it's kind of that that one thing you have over the the neighbor and and i think this is a good a good time to kind of describe what makes a good rivalry and because you rivalries sometimes can feel like they um come from nothing but generally rivalries kind of have a source have one thing that makes it makes a rivalry be and generally when i think of a rivalry i think of it's normally um between two teams that kind of have something similar, they share a common, um, whether it be geographic location, a common interest. Um, they pl- they're two teams that play on a regular basis, fairly regular, because um, you have to be playing with each other. And and generally, there's 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 competition between the two teams. It's not just one team beating up on another team for most of the part. Um, hence the Man City, Man United comment, Louis. Man City for a long time hasn't been a rival for Man United because they were so bad. I mean, every time United played them, it was a thrashing. It was, it really wasn't that fun of a game, which is why... Good time. <laughs> which is, yeah, the good old days. Which is why the Liverpool Man United is a much more prominent feature because they're two, ta- they're two cities, sorry, that share a lot of values. They're, they're very close in proximity on a map, um, but they're two teams that have kind of held the balance of English football for the last... However many years, sixty years. So um, rivalries can seem at, they they really divide people, but they they're they're coming from one common source, which I think is very important to note as well. But on your point, circling back as to why rivalries are so important, I want to kind of paint a picture as to um, what it kind of meant, right? So for the very long time in the probably 60s, 70s, and 80s, or 70s and 80s, Liverpool was the biggest English club. They, you know, won several, uh, they had European championships, they had league championships. Liverpool were the team to beat. They had... Are the team to beat. Were the team to beat. They had, they had you know, 18 league titles, and Man United had like three or four or something yeah. like that. It wasn't that many. So Alex Ferguson gets appointed uh, manager of Manchester United, he comes out publicly and says, we're going to knock Liverpool off their fucking perch. So in his mind, he had already set a goal. It was like, they are Liverpool are the best team in the country. We are very close to Liverpool. We're like a half hour away. We can world. literally like throw something. It might mm-hmm. land there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not very far. Um, and so he was like, no, we're going to set a goal. We're going to be better than Liverpool. Mm-hmm. This dude goes and does it over the next 25-ish years. Yeah. And so that creates a phenomenal rivalry in and of itself. When you call someone out for something, you're like, I'm going to do it. And then you do it. You know what I mean? So that just shows like how important that's been for like 
the growth of not only Man United and even Liverpool, but also the Prem in general. Yeah. Um, people were tuning in to see like this Man United team that kind of wasn't what they are today. Yeah. Man United is a massive powerhouse of a club. They were yeah. just named the most valuable franchise on the planet. So it's like that growth was really interesting to see and how that shaped the culture of the Prem and also English soccer based on one rivalry. Yeah. I mean, the I think, I, I don't remember the, 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 the numbers, but the, um, the one game... Liverpool Man United where the the game where Juan Mata scores that overhead kick when Van Houten in charge that single game it was like a seven o'clock game or something um, AM had more views than any Super Bowl has ever had in its entire history right like and that's a game that I mean it, it wasn't a final it, it got it was yeah, a league game. regular league game it didn't get crazy media coverage like a Super Bowl would have um, and it, it blew Super Bowl numbers out of out of out of the water. Just to put into perspective of how important a rivalry game can be for the world. Right. And moving outside of England, because I I know we harp so much on Manchester United. I'm right. sorry if you but hate I, the club I support. Yeah. But, but I think the the Manchester United Liverpool is just a good. Everybody understands kind right. of the. Right. It the is dynamics. good though that despite our our love for our clubs, we don't hate each other. Yeah. Because in in in, in <laughs> if we publicly. were. Yeah, right? <laughs> Behind closed doors, guys. I don't know. That's why I only see you guys once a week. Uh, I'm glad I'm glad that doesn't doesn't ruin our, our friendship. But in terms of like it, 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 one of the most watched soccer games every year is El Clasico, yeah. which is Real Madrid versus Barcelona. You could be the most uh uneducated soccer fan on the planet. You're going to sit down and yeah. watch El Clasico. Oh, like you're you could like know that the only thing you can know about soccer is like that there's a ball and they kick it and you're going to sit down and watch El Clasico yeah. because these are two of the biggest clubs in Spain. Yeah playing each other yeah um and so these are the games that we tune in not that you know we as soccer diehard soccer fans well i'll tune into any game you could put on the u12s of some club team and i'll watch it like i love yeah. soccer but at the same time these are the games that draw in viewers these are the games that people tune into these are the ones that are the highlights of every weekend yeah um and you know it, it's not exclusive to soccer but one thing that i think is really interesting that you mentioned about rivalries alan is that um they don't always have to be geographical. Right. So Barcelona and Madrid are pretty far away from each other. You can, it's like, it's like a three and a half hour ride by train. So it's a very, they're on two opposite sides kind of of a country. Um, but what they have in common is their winning ability. They are the two biggest clubs in their region. And so they competed on, on the winning aspect. Yeah. Um, for you American sports fans, it's similar to the, the, the Lakers Celtics rivalry. Yeah. You know, when they, they disputed so many NBA championships that it just created a rivalry yeah. through seeing each other and through bad blood. Same thing with Barcelona and Real Madrid. Yeah. They are two clubs that just have, they compete year in and year out for the title. Yeah. Um, the last time someone won the title that wasn't them was Atletico Madrid in 2014. But other yeah. than that, for the past decade, it's been yeah. Real Madrid or Barcelona. What and I think is um, super important too, that, to that to that rivalry and to, um, to so many rivalries around the world is that they're not geographically located, but what their rivalry represents in terms of almost political um, meaning Real Madrid being this the team that's from the capital team that is kind of the shine the glitz the although yes a Barcelona has so I'm not saying that but <laughs> they, they represent but Real Madrid of, are the prize jewels yes, by the name itself yes, Real Madrid absolutely. it is the team of Madrid that is royal right it is based because the, the Spain still has a king and this club is the crown jewel like right you said. and then the Bar Barcelona name. is kind of the the everyday man's club the that they they're owned by the fans they're this and that these two things are clashing ideas classic uh, two different groups of people right so that pits 
that creates this rivalry that makes it even even more um, tantalizing and kind of enjoyable to watch because it's it's not just about the sport it's about what these teams represent to the cultures outside of that and what's important too is that Barcelona's in the Basque region and, and I'm sorry in the Catalonia region wow you guys are all going to murder me for that I'm so oh sorry God. brain you fart you my fault you in the Catalonia region which they want to separate themselves from Spain and create their own country right. so that has been a amazing backdrop for every El Clasico over the last I don't know two or three years this yeah. has become a super prominent thing and what's really interesting is that soccer's it's yes it's a silly sport that we just kind of spend our time listening to and watching but it has such a global impact and it means so much more than that like yeah. you see like all the time when they're talking about uh the catalan like region just separating out of of spain it's a lot of times coming up because of these soccer players are talking about it gerard yeah. Piquet has talked about it like yeah. players who play for barcelona have talked about it publicly and that has been a very interesting backdrop for it too yes. because like you said barcelona is the everyday man club and they are not that they really are because you yeah, could yeah. probably argue that both of these clubs are <laughs> yeah. whatever but the 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 sentiment is there you know what yeah. i mean and so when you have this the club from the capital the club that is you know the crown jewel of spain of, of like they are the capital's club and then you have this club in a region that wants to remove itself from spain right. it creates this crazy like right. political backdrop to a game that's being played and it's just like yeah. that's what to me makes soccer so important is these layers that get added of real life onto a sport that we know doesn't right. really matter. And that's different to American sports because I, I don't obviously this isn't true. Like it's not just one class that watches the NBA or the NFL, but it, there's more of a an equal kind of political backdrop behind these teams. It's not like when I think of Lakers versus Celtics, I'm thinking, oh, it's the it's the blue collar versus the celebrity glitz of Hollywood, right? And maybe I, it, yeah. it was at some point, but right. not really. I don't really even. think of that normally for a rivalry game in the US. I, I I normally think like, yeah, they're just fans of this club. And that may be just my perspective, but I don't I don't put as much of the 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 outside culture um I don't think that that outside culture is reflected that much between two teams in in a given um American sport. Right. And to put it in perspective, it's not like when the, let's say the New England Patriots who come from a very, very liberal state. Right. When they play the Texans that there's like very conservative <laughs> right. people right. fighting a political slash um, ideological fight behind the game. Yeah. Right. Which is what it kind of sometimes is in other parts of the world. Right. Like you don't have these like ultra liberals being like this is an ultra liberal football yeah, team right, and right. then you have the super conservative football team they're just football team right yeah. it, it doesn't have all of that behind it even given in, even in the, the political like climate that we're in now it doesn't feel like that really yeah. um between different teams and some people may say oh but this whole uh nfl and like the flag situation yeah. is a backdrop but that is a case that's happening at every single team right it's not like one team is right. super conservative going yeah we're we're yes we this is an issue for us and then the liberals are like it's not yes. it's kind of every team it's, an, it's a whole spread out throughout the league another uh, interesting little rivalry is between uh have you ever heard of the old firm derby or the celtic rangers yeah. derby? oh yeah. that one's Dude, nuts this one's nuts i was just reading a little bit about it so like think going back to like the blue collars versus the uh the white yeah. collar kind of thing um religions were kind of involved yes. the rangers being more protestant celtic being more roman catholic rangers at one point would not even knowingly sign a catholic on their team yeah oh wow um they and they've gone back playing they have played 413 times yeah they started their first game was I mean, when may 28 the, the only two clubs that matter in scotland <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I don't mean to. <laughs> I don't mean to make that sound so bad. I apologize. <laughs> yeah. Right. Jeez. And then um, <laughs> even they. The the rivalry have gotten to the point where in 1980 there was there was a pitch invasion yeah. to the to this day it's one of the worst pitch invasions that has ever yeah. occurred in which banned alcohol from yeah. um, Scottish stadiums yeah. I don't know if it's still intact now but just an interesting perspective no, I, and that's see again like you don't necessarily see a religious backdrop no. in a NBA game <laughs> like the, like the the Celtics aren't like the Catholic team yeah, yeah and right. like the Lakers aren't the Protestant team. right like right you, there's there's so much in it and that's that's a super interesting because that was a that was a real issue right yeah. the, the football was a reflection of that but that was a real issue that was happening right because and they well, just used the football to yeah, kind of the football was just another feelings it was yeah right it was a displacement of that but it, it's it's uber interesting to see that because it's it's unlike any sport Right, and and it's so funny because like I feel like when I when I speak to people in the United States about soccer, they don't understand how ingrained it is into life. Like for us, uh, sports is something that was produced as a purest form of escape. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily, and not that soccer isn't, but it's a matter of when it came about in the U.S. sports, we just kind of like, yep, we play our sports, and that's yeah. that's kind of it. Yeah. But whereas around the rest of the world, these are. You know, this is a sport that's been played around the world for over 150 years, organized-wise, right? Yeah. And, and so, it these th- these themes seep into the sport because these people are part of these communities that share those values. And for a very long time, you weren't super rich playing soccer. You were right. still a working man for the, right. for a very long period of, of 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 the history of the sport. So these issues did matter to you because you were a local kid and you were Catholic or you were Protestant and it meant so much to your community because these this game was a very local game yeah. at the at the at, at its inception for a long period Absolutely. of its time. And so it's really interesting to see how ingrained these issues are. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? One of my favorite footballing rivalries and it's a it's a game that I um sort of have on my bucket list of things that I need to do in my life. Uh, Boca River Plate. Uh, oh, probably, I mean, some people say it's the most contested rivalry in the world. For go, for, the goes, for those of you guys who don't know, uh, Boca Juniors and River Plate are two of the biggest clubs in South America, yeah. and they are two Argentinian behemoths of yes. soccer in South America. Boca Juniors representing kind of, again, the, kind of that Barcelona-Real Madrid rivalry. Boca Juniors being the everyday man, the common man. River Plate being the more middle upper class they've their river plates nickname is the the millionaires los millonarios um, <laughs> but they're two clubs that came from the same region river plate moved away and then this became this this kind of rivalry from two teams that are from the same region but that represent two different social social economic classes right the Boca's, Boca is called los bosteros by their rivalry which is basically like the shit eaters the shit picker uppers um, which Again, that division of of what you associate with, and at first it was an insult, but now Boca Juniors fans see themselves as that. That's who they are. They're proud to be the everyday working blue collar type of individual. Whereas River Plate, the the richest club in Argentina, um, they very much so represent that in in the in their fans. And I can see you wanting to go to this because I just looked it up. It's seventy percent of all Argentinian fans are. Yeah, yeah, it's it fucking insane. Pit, pit it between these but also, two clubs. Alan and I probably can't go. It's <laughs> yeah. like him and I go to a game in Argentina unless yeah, we like, know people. We're Brazilian. We're not welcome. Would, would they know you? Would they? I mean, like, I don't think. I don't think by look they would. No. Because but they if they heard us speaking speak Portuguese, Portuguese, we would. It would yeah. not yeah. be I would nice. I just go and act like I'm 
like I can't. Speak Yay, <laughs> go soccer! Um, but like I, w- I actually want to go to the the match at La Bombonera, which is Boca Junior Stadium. Their their stadium is basically at just like a ninety degree angle. It's the, you're just looking straight. They b- the when field. they built the the seating, they built it to be literally as if it's over the stand, like yeah. over. So the it looks pitch. like a wall. It just looks like a. It's it's insane. But which has led to really bad issues yeah. because they're so close to the pitch. They've like thrown so much yeah. stuff on the field at, at, at the Bombonera that like it does. It, it's delayed matches. Yeah. One of their oh, recent wow, matches had dude. like six gas bombs thrown in the field. Oh yeah, like six they people. had to they had to put up these like nets around that the, is crazy. the fans because like you like they yeah. had such easy access to the players. Yeah. Huh, Before we get a... too off track, <laughs> we you know we could probably sit here and talk yeah. about the no. best rivalries on the planet and, but the the whole point of that whole uh, rant that we kind of went on is that there's so many things that create a rivalry right. is whether it's you know with the the river plate and boca being the socioeconomic divide within a city or within a region um real madrid and barcelona's you know political divisions right. um celtic and rangers religious divisions these are things that we don't necessarily see in soccer in the u.s today and really in all honesty in in global soccer it's sort of starting to go away because these clubs are starting to transcend right. yeah. um being relatable almost to an extent sort of being localized, being to, the, localized. To, that, to that original issue or thread right and now it's more about the means of like who do you want to support and for what reason right. and for, you know either way these rivalries are still the most watched games yes. you know anytime river plate plays boca it's circle yeah. your fucking calendar watch yeah. that shit it's gonna be amazing um and so, yeah, I mean, I think that kind of really exemplifies yeah. why rivalries are so important and why they've grown to a level that they are the most watched games in the sport. Um, and, and so, and it's a good that's that's good that you kind of summarize that and bring that up because it's a topic that we want to discuss now. Of rivalry week just happened in the MLS. Um, for listeners that aren't from the U.S., rivalry week a week in the MLS where rivals are pitted against each other throughout basically a whole week five days um this week it was from like wednesday to sunday different teams play their their quote-unquote rivals wanted to ask each other and ask the listeners viewers if mls rivalries right now feel genuine or if they feel kind of forced so i i've been giving this a lot of thought because on top of this podcast, we also have a MLS recap show that comes out every single Monday. Yep. Um, so check that out on YouTube. Shameless plug. <laughs> um, but I've been thinking about it a lot since last week because it, it felt like there were some genuine rivalries. Um, we did several. We did two a series of episodes on Portland and Seattle, and we talked about their rivalry. And they have a genuine rivalry that stems back to the 70s. So they have history with one another. They're geographically very close to one another. Um, so it's still it's kind of ticking off all the boxes that of, of the rivalries that we've mentioned before. But there's also there was also something that really kind of irked me about the way the MLS was putting out rivalry week in their marketing and things like that. It felt like they were it felt like they listened to this episode that we just recorded and that <laughs> you're listening to thought, oh, my God, it's amazing how what these rivalries do to the sports everywhere else. Let's try to force as many rivalries as possible, and maybe right. one of them will be interesting. Um, so, for example, San Jose, Vancouver. <laughs> right. Not really a rivalry. Right. They're not really near each other. San Jose's in the middle of California. Vancouver's in Canada. They are separated by two states, three states, depending on how you would get there. They're different countries. I don't know if the people are very similar. 
but MLS was putting out San Jose versus Vancouver as the, a rivalry. Yes. And it's like very weird. Uh, another example is um, New York City Football Club versus the New York Red Bull. Yes, they are both technically from New York, but in all honesty, the Red Bull, they are not from New York. They play in New Jersey. They have the, 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 the Red Bull Arena is in New Jersey. Sure, it's not far, but it's still a different state. It's relatively close. But that one to me, I don't know if it feels forced because I just don't think there's enough like bad blood, I guess. Yeah. Not that that's well, there isn't enough history between the two. Right. right? It's one of those things where um, it's interesting because I think LAFC and LA Galaxy are starting to build a better rivalry than NYFC and New York yeah. Red Bulls. So, 100%. But my, the thing about the the what they're calling El Trafico, which I love, it's a great name. <laughs> yeah, because um, if you've ever been to LA, Very you've wanted to kill Very yourself sitting in a LA. car in LA. El Trafico. <laughs> so, what's interesting about that is that a lot of the fans for LAFC were actually fans of Chivas USA, right. which was a team in LA for about ten years. They were not very good. But either way, there's the there's a lot of bad blood that has existed between the Galaxy right. fans and the Chivas USA fans because they used to share a stadium in right. Carson and and a lot of people who supported Chivas USA became LAFC supporters. Right. And now that LAFC is downtown LA, they there is a couple of these issues that are arising. You know, geographically right. located, the people of LA, some of them who are rooting for LAFC are like, well, you guys play in Carson. How can you call yourself the LA Galaxy? Right. So like, they're starting to create some of those divides and it's interesting you bring up chivas because i think what's important um between seattle and portland is that there's history far beyond the mls yep it isn't just the from the existence or the birth of the mls that these two teams have had a rivalry have been playing with each other and we shouldn't we also shouldn't discount vancouver's part uh in the seattle vancouver portland trifecta which is annoying because see mls tries to sell it as vancouver versus san jose when reality vancouver is a part of this kind of like triplet rivalry right which is a which i actually think is a little unique right to to global soccer i don't i've never really heard of like a a rivalry between three three uh, clubs right absolutely but again there needs to be some type of history between clubs for there to be a real a real rivalry. And that I think that rivalry. some of the issue with the MLS now kind of forcing these, forcing, I say forcing because there isn't enough history between the teams in the MLS to feel like there's genuine rivalry between them. Obviously, there are the, a few outliers, but I, for a lot of the, the rivalry matches that I watched, it wasn't like I was like, these two teams hate each other. Right. And it, you was, think just, like- it was just another big game that was pr- promoted as a big game but it didn't feel like that from atmosphere in the stands atmosphere on the pitch i didn't get that vibe to your point the the game was uh last week it was houston dynamo versus fc dallas fc dallas was first in the, is, is first in the standings in, in the western conference of the mls yet when they played the houston dynamo the stadium was empty there was like Absolutely eight no like one. like yeah. yeah less than ten thousand people yeah. it wasn't very loud yeah. it, it just it felt so dull yeah at the stadium that it was hard to think it was a rivalry. Right. So let's uh, let's ask a question. Is it wrong for the MLS to try and force these rivalries? Well, to a sense I think so because people don't necessarily just eat up what is put in front of them. I think that there needs to be some sense of um, kind of standing against the opposition. There needs to be and especially in, the, in in this sport where culture is cultivated naturally, it's it. I mean, we've I've never seen a situation where culture has been forced upon a group of fans and it has just been taken accepted. up, accepted, and, and and bought. So, I personally think it 
it isn't the MLS's place right now to be building that. I think that it's understandable because they see how important rivalries are to a sport and to a game. But if the fans and the cult, fans associated to these teams don't feel that way, um, I think it's harder for them to accept that. They're they're trying to buy into something that the MLS is trying to sell them about themselves almost. Yeah. Like you're trying to tell I'm I'm a I'm a Atlanta United fan and I am trying to buy the fact that I am an Orlando City fan, but for what reason? Orlando right. City rival. Orlando City, yeah, right. right. <laughs> I'm an Orlando City rival, but for what reason? If I don't feel it, how are you going to tell me to feel it? Yeah. So I, I think that that is a little wrong because at the end of the day, if it's not going, it doesn't stick. It could be te- it's a temporary thing, but it, if it doesn't stick, it doesn't it doesn't work. So I, I'll let be. What's your answer? Um, yeah, I think it's it's stupid. Why why push these these rivalries on fans when they haven't even really identified themselves i would say with another club like that like i feel like to some extent it has to come through history and it has to come through some kind of not catalytic event but like yeah something like that it has to come through the sir alex ferguson saying i want to knock liverpool off their fucking perch right it has to come through natural things that happen in the game or in in the histories of two of two cities towns wherever it may be and it's funny because I think that there is a, a, a part of the MLS fans who are clamoring for this. And so some of them are kind of taking these rivalries that the MLS is kind of putting out and kind of running with it in terms of the specifically I'm referring to the Atlanta United Orlando City, quote unquote, rivalry. Just because they're two southern cities, they're really not near each other. It's probably like, a, what would we say? Probably like a five, six hour drive yeah. from Atlanta to, to, to yeah. Orlando. Yeah. Um, but there are some fans who took it a little crazy in, in games, and they've there. I was, you know, these Facebook groups that I always mention I'm in. I was reading about how there was a sub- selection of, of people in the stands at the Orlando City game versus Atlanta who were like fighting Atlanta Atlanta United supporters. Like, you, do you really feel that bad? Like, yeah. you want to force this rivalry so much yeah. that you want to go and fight someone because it's you think it's going to make the yeah. game better? It's a weird, controversial yeah. thought, but some people are doing yeah. that. Yeah, and that and that's. That goes against my point, right? So maybe a few f- few fan groups are taking this for what it is and 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 buying into it. And and if that works, that's awesome. But I I think that that's that's probably one case, right? I yeah. don't know if other teams uh, other no, rivalries are happening. And, and but what I find interesting is that you know where I see that these rivalries make sense is in the in the instance of them sharing of these MLS teams sharing a city, right? Because if because like I've mentioned about rivalries, you're always trying to be better at the other person at something, right? Mm-hmm. So with the, in the case of New York City versus New York or the New York Red Bull, the equation is pretty simple. It's what's the best team in New York, right? Yep. And so that's the kind of thing of like where you're when you're putting the rivalry out, it's like, all right, I'm a New York City FC supporter. I feel like I'm the best I have the best club in New York, especially because my club is in New York, right? Yeah. So that, it doesn't feel as forced because it's like you're both technically called New York something. So it's like being the best in New York is great. Where in the same case of LA versus LA Galaxy, I think that you're starting to see some some of the that rivalry flourish because they're, they're both called the LA somethings. And so it's like, which team is the best in LA? Yeah. Um, and so that's where it gets very interesting. Because on one hand, LA Galaxy can be like, hey, we've won five MLS Cups. Definitely the most prestigious club in MLS's history. But at the same time, uh, LAFC can boast that they are actually in LA. They're downtown LA. Their supporters, they feel like they have better supporters in the Galaxy. And so 
those rivalries, I'm like, force those, put those out there, talk about them being whatever you want. Don't fucking call them Darbies, you goddamn. <laughs> I. Uh, you passion. people on television why don't, why don't you like covering th- because first of all the word is derby in american english derby is the way they pronounce it in england we're not english i hate that yeah but you you say football i do say football <laughs> <laughs> soccer's a made up word well like i i'm struggling to connect well i guess i'll let you continue your rant well, i just wanted to point that I, out on your point against him it's the same word derby but they say derby versus derby. I'm okay Soccer if, and they, football, they, if, if, if announcers in Amer- Amer- commentating the MLS call it a derby between oh. two rivals. Perfect. By all means, I love it. It's a, I love it. It's a great word. Phenomenal. If you fucking call it a derby, yeah, I'm gonna okay, snap. I see. They're injecting the they're injecting the, the British accent into an Ameri- into a British word and making it yeah. American. And, yeah. like, right. We, and yeah. it's like okay. we, you want to you want to borrow the word for what it means from from England. Perfect. The derby between Man- uh, New York City versus New York Red Bull sounds great. The derby <laughs> between Dar-by. these two clubs, fuck you guys, <laughs> fuck you. I hate you so much. You goddamn announcers, start calling it a derby. We've already been oppressed by them once. <laughs> Don't bring back these times. <laughs> <laughs> we did not throw tea in a harbor for no reason. Okay, we bring back derby. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking call it a derby. But yeah, uh, sorry about my rant there. Um, yeah, that was passionate. <laughs> but it, it's one of those things where I'm sure for the MLS viewership was up last week. A lot of these games were on national television. Yeah. It was actually a lot easier to find all these rivalry 100%. games. There was you know two on ESPN on Wednesday, two on ESPN on Friday. Um, Fox Soccer had the Timbers. Or I'm sorry, Fox Sports One had the Timbers versus Seattle on Sunday night. These games were much easier to find than usual games on, on the MLS schedule. So I'm sure their viewership was up. I'm sure it was very well received from a uh, all like a TV analyst standpoint, I guess. But some of them were definitely a little yeah. forced, in my opinion. Yeah, they just lacked the... I mean, that FC Dallas-Houston game was one. Um, Columbus Crew-Chicago was another one I'm thinking. Yeah, I'm trying to... Just games uh, that didn't... They didn't have them. They yeah. didn't have what, what, what I was being... They, they didn't have what I was being sold. Right. Um, so essentially I, what they're telling you by saying it's rivalry week, they're like, these are going to be the most action-packed games because all of these teams hate each other. Yeah. But in reality, only like two of yeah. them really hate and each I don't, other. And, 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 if you're like look, and if you look back and say, oh, games are tied, I'm not talking about score when I say action-packed. I'm talking about the tenacity in the play, the, the fans in the stadium. That's what you really yeah. are buying into when you're buying into a rivalry match. It's not seeing what's happening in the pitch. Yes, that's important, but there's everything else, right? There's the 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 fans, everything. At the end of the day, the end result is just a small fraction of what a rivalry match should mean, as you've seen from everything that we've talked about today. So being sold on that i need to get that same atmosphere from the people that are in the stands there feeling the game right yeah yeah i think my definitive answer on it is the mls shouldn't necessarily force these rivalries because it feels very fake but at the same time if it's appropriate if there is a rivalry yeah cool by all means like promote it you know what i mean like that's what they do across the world um and so i just think that don't try to fake it to force a narrative. You yeah. know what I mean? Because even when people talk about El Clasico or the Manchester United-Liverpool game, it's never really like, yeah, they mention it as a, uh, you know, a Clasico or a Derby, you know, because they're in England. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't 
go over the 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 actual talk about the game. It doesn't. What I'm trying to say is, the the match doesn't outweigh what's going on in their commentary. Yeah. They talk about it, but they it's not the point. It's yeah. just that they still talk about what's going on with the two teams at the time. It's still, you know, they still do their analysis. But it almost felt like we were trying in in the MLS was just trying to be like the rivalry is just so much better than what's actually yeah. going on, right? Which is difficult because you're you're forcing a narrative that's not really there, you know? Yeah, yeah it's it's trying to build something up that's not. It's like um, I don't even I can't even like think of an example off the top of my head, right? But it's like um, you go to a party and and the the host is like, don't worry, it usually my parties are really good. Yeah, right. Yeah, and sure. But I'm here now, and I'm not experiencing that. Forget rivalries in the MLS. Unless yeah, I mean, I know, and, and I, and I. Well, but I don't want to say forget rivalries because I they're super crucial to the game. Yeah, but you can't. Force I think the yeah, MLS should do a better job at pushing the ones that exist. Yeah, right. If your league only has three rivalries, build the shit out of those three rivalries. Yeah, because then what's to say more rivalries aren't to come from that? Right. And and I don't need a rivalry week. Uh, this is another no. thing. Just from a marketing standpoint, like if I was marketing the MLS, why would I put all of my biggest games in one week? Right. <laughs> yeah, because... Spread those things out, baby. Because yeah. then <laughs> you're just going to have one spike of viewership, and then yeah. the rest is kind of like, oh, well, whatever. I, that's another thing that's... And especially like the same times and everything. It's like multiple yeah. games on at the same time. It's like, why you got to like, just spread it out a little yeah, bit. It's tough, but... Yeah, I definitely don't understand it all being in one week. Yeah. Like, yeah, okay, whatever. The teams play each other more than just once in a yeah. season. There were three games between LA and LAFC. Whatever. But like putting them all in the same week yeah. definitely What's doesn't the, doesn't yeah. sit well with me but, too much. Yeah. They've got some big wigs there that know what they're doing. I'm just talking out of my arse. All right. Well. <laughs> um, okay, I think that that's all I all I have today um, for this topic. Yeah, I kind of exhausted my uh, my rants about things <laughs> <laughs> but okay i think this is a good b you got any, any last parting words for the fans? yeah you know i feel like the el trafico <laughs> should be a, a special televised event that espn ate the ocho <laughs> is, it broadcasts once a year doesn't it sound like yeah it's like, like that? or like they, they they fool the fans into like turning in tune into El Trafico on ESPN 8 The Ocho, and then the first 10 minutes is like two guys, two announcers in the back seat talking while some dude's in traffic, and then they, they oh, eventually start the genius. game. Yeah. So, someone at ESPN listening to this podcast, reach out to Brendan. He's got some really great <laughs> yeah, I'm an idea man. <laughs> but overall, guys, what do you think about any of the things we just said? P- feel free to reach out to us via DM on Instagram, reach out to us on Facebook, email us. Everything will be in the show notes. We'd love to hear feedback from you guys. What do you think about uh, rivalries in general? What do you think about rivalries in the MLS? Um, Just let us know. Hit us up. We love to interact. Um, But I think that's a good place for us to end. I think this episode's gone a little long, but that's all right. Well, we'll catch you guys next week.